Thanks, my friend. Um, so, here we are. We are now, finally, on the final talk of our little justice series that we've been doing this term. So, if this is your first week, as a church, we've been taking the entire term from Christmas to Easter to read one of the books of the Bible. We've been reading the book of Luke, which is a biography of Jesus' life written by a guy called Luke. And we've been taking two chapters a week to walk through the book. Uh, and basically, let, let Jesus speak for himself, see what he has to say. And as we've been going through, we've been banging on the gong of justice. We've been looking at what Jesus is saying when it comes to justice and how he came to bring justice into the world. And this is our last talk in the series. We've made it all the way to the end. Hooray! Well done, everybody. Um, for those completest amongst you, you will notice that there's actually two or three chapters left. They will be on the podcast, but this is the last talky talk. Um, but... Back in January, I started this whole series off by asking you guys, when I say the word justice, what springs to mind for you? And I thought it'd be fun to do that again, having just done a term. So we're literally just going to do one minute. I want you to turn to the people who are around you who look friendly, people from Gloucester Vineyard Church, please be inclusive and grab people around you. Um, and I want you to ask, um, I say justice, what does that word mean to you? So one minute, and then I want to hear some feedback. That's a minute. You've had a, about a minute. So let's hear some voices in the room. Darren, what did you say? Thanks, Dan. Uh, get, getting what you deserve. Getting what you deserve. Anybody else want to, want to share? What else did we have? Fairness. Very good. Anybody else? Uh, wrong things made right. Wrong things made right. Very good. Anybody else? Want to chip anything in? No? Okay, very good. So quick heads up, there's going to be a lot of backwards and forwards today. Don't worry if you're not comfortable with that. I'm not going to pick on people like I did with Darren. I just, he's my friend, so I knew I could get away with that. But you know, if you feel comfortable, please do share. But if not, don't worry about it. I'm not going to pick on you. Um, now, I've really enjoyed this series. I've loved how we've heard from lots of different voices. I've loved how we've had a lot of two-way conversation about what it looks like. Um, and I love it that we've not shied away from actually talking about some real-life, modern-day injustices um, that we see around us. And if you were here the week before last, when Jemima was speaking, you'll know that that was no exception. We heard some really tough stuff, but I really appreciated that. Now, my job this term has been to hopefully provide a little bit of structure, a little bit of theology and a framework for our conversation. So I've been trying to kind of touch on the big picture stuff of like, what does the Bible mean when it's talking about injustice? And what Jesus seems to think is the root of the problem and what Jesus seems to want to do about it by working through his church. Um, and today I just want to finish off our series um, by looking ahead to next week, by looking ahead to Easter um, and taking a little bit of time to think about Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection and what on earth, if anything, that has to do with the world's injustice problem. Um, so that's what we're going to do this afternoon. Hooray. So quick question. Does anybody in the room know what their name means? Anybody know what their name means? Yes, Linny, what does your name mean? Beautiful Blossom. Fabulous. Anybody else? Yeah, Tim? One who, one who honors God. Yeah, Becca? Snare? Your name means snare. Mate, that is unfortunate. Uh, anybody else? Yeah, Steve? Crown. Cool name, yeah? Helen? Brightness or light, yeah? Naomi? My delight. Fabulous. Great. So my name is Daniel, and my name means God is my judge. Ho-ho! Um, which ultimately means that God will hold me to account. God will declare who I am, and everybody else's opinion, theoretically, is secondary to that. Um, now, the idea of God being a judge actually plays a part in our chapter for this week. Um, 
Did anybody manage to read this week's chapter? We're on chapter 21 of the book of Luke. Anybody read it this week? Keep up on the podcast. I've yes, Becky, well done. You're my favorite person. Has anybody managed to keep up the whole time, like all the way to the end? This is either going to be a wonderful moment or cripplingly disappointing. Okay, so it's cripplingly disappointing. Very good. It's okay. We'll probably do it again next year, so you can all do better next year. Um, but yeah, so this week we're doing chapter 21, and it was a puzzling chapter, to put it uh, to put it lightly. I was going to ask somebody to unpack it for us, but since none of you read it, that's very challenging, so I'll have to do it myself. But it was a very interesting chapter. Jesus is basically talking to his disciples, and he's kind of, he's making a prediction about the city of Jerusalem, and he's talking about it being surrounded by armies, and then the city being destroyed, and the temple being destroyed, and people running for the hills, and it's a very strange chapter of the book. Um, I'm not going to lie. And um, it's, it's the kind of thing which we can kind of actually imagine that in our mind's eye, can't we? The idea of a city being surrounded by armies and people having to flee for that, like, because we've just seen that with the city of Kiev, haven't we? So I was actually reading it this week and thinking, goodness gracious, I've got a, I've got a modern example that I can really pin this to. I found it actually quite profound and quite sombering, really. But I was kind of found myself asking the question, why is Jesus making this prediction? Like, what's the point? Why does it find its way into our Bible? And why does it get like an entire chapter when, if we're honest, it has absolutely zero impact on our daily lives, the idea that Jerusalem might get destroyed? Um, and the key really is found in verse 22, I think. It says this, For those will be the days of God's vengeance, and the prophetic words of the Scriptures will be fulfilled. Mmm, that's one you want to put on your fridge, isn't it? So there's two things there. Firstly, God is allowing this destruction to happen as an act of vengeance. Blimey, if there was ever a word we could have used that comes with some baggage, it's that word, am I right? Um, like, who likes the idea of God allowing destruction of a city? Like, no, no hands, no hands. Um, but also Jesus is saying that he's not the first person to make this prediction, that there's been lots of prophetic words, people saying that this might happen in the past. Hmm. So what exactly are we looking at here? Because there's some proper bible words and concepts going on here. I think that what we're looking at here is that um, Jesus is talking about God's justice and God's judgment arriving in a city. God's justice and God's judgment. Everyone's happy they came to church today, right? We're talking about God's judgment. Hands up and smiles in the room. Very good. But what Jesus is really um, leaning into is this idea that Jesus is trying to say God has been trying to form this city of Jerusalem into a people of justice. He's trying to create them into an unstoppable force for good in the world. But instead, they've chosen a path of greed and corruption. You know, Jesus is leaning into what the Bible says, that God is slow to get angry, that he's patient, that he's actually given this city hundreds and hundreds of years and many, many warnings to simply get their act together. And Jemima actually shared with us two weeks ago about how the economic and religious structures within the city were so corrupt and were making, taking advantage of the poor and basically God's calling time on that. You know, Jesus was trying to teach people to follow a peaceful path based on reconciliation and love, but instead, just before Jerusalem gets destroyed, because it actually what Jesus shares in this chapter happens, 40 years after he says it, exactly what Jesus said happened. Um, and really, and many commentators have said that if the people of Jerusalem had turned and followed Jesus and gone for his path of peace and reconciliation, that whole destruction of the city would not have happened. Now, I'm aware that this generation does not like talking about judgment. 
I don't particularly like talking about judgment, but that's actually why we wanted to read this chapter as we did, because I can't skip over this chapter and pretend it's not there. We have to look at it. We have to listen to what Jesus is saying. So, um, but I think rather than this being something that we need to be afraid of or embarrassed about, I think this is something that we should be inviting and thinking about. I'm going to finish today by sharing what I think is a really beautiful way that the early church used to think about Jesus dying on the cross and this idea of God's judgment. And I hope that it will be really helpful for us to kind of think about this a little bit better. So, let's ask another question. Who here likes being judged? Any, oh, you almost put your hand up then. So, none of us particularly like being judged. I was thinking about this, like, when you think about what we do on Facebook all the time, just like putting things out there for people to judge, like a curated image of ourselves. Maybe that's a little bit too meta. We won't go there. Um, but none of us really like being judged, do we? Um, but let's take some more time with those around us. Gather up with those people you were just with. I just want to ask you a really simple question, so take a couple of minutes. When is it bad to be judged? What are the situations when we don't like people making a judgment on us? Maybe we've put ourselves out there. Maybe someone's making comments that we just haven't invited. When do we hate it when someone judges us? Maybe it's when we're parking. Like, have you ever you know, watched somebody watching you and you're trying to reverse bay? You're like, stop watching me! Um, so, when do we hate being judged? And can we think of any examples of when actually it's a really good thing to be judged? So, a couple of minutes. Have a little conversation with those around you, and then I'm going to ask you to feedback. So, when do we not like it, and when is it a good thing? So, who wants to share with me, like, a moment when it's, we don't like being judged? Anybody got one off the top of their heads? When is it a bad thing to be judged, or do we not like it? No? Um, when it's by someone who doesn't know what they're doing. Yes, somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Yes. Someone you don't have a relationship with or doesn't, isn't in full possession of the facts, etc. Yeah, absolutely. So somebody maybe doesn't understand all of the mitigating circumstances and is making a judgment call. Otherwise, yes, coming to you. Ironically, I was going to say the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I hate being judged probably the most when it comes from someone that I love. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Awkward. Okay, anybody else got one? Yep. When I'm just learning something. So, so when I know that I'm making a mistake and I'm like, I don't need someone telling me. I'm just learning. So. Oh, I totally relate to that. Like, I'm trying. I know it's not working. Anybody else? Maybe one more. Or did anybody think of an opportunity where actually we want to be judged? Could anybody think of one? X Factor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't know about that. I don't think I'd want to be in the same room as Simon Cowell, but there we go. Um, when you're doing a good job, you want people to judge you when you're doing a good job. Well, I suppose that's true. It's very good. Um, great. Where am I on here? I am here. So that's good. So as I said earlier on, my name means God is my judge. So if God is my judge, that summons a certain mental picture in our minds. Don't we? If we're thinking about a judge, like, where are we? Somebody shout it at me if God is being a judge courtroom thank you very much so if God is a judge then I'm kind of imagining myself in a courtroom um, and let's just imagine ourselves in that situation let's imagine we're in the docket close your eyes if you want to if you're feeling mystic and 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 God is the judge so in that moment as he's looking down with his wig on because let's face it he's got a wig on what characteristics do we want God to have in that situation I've got my white I've got my flip chart with me today I'm gonna run down so shout out at me oh would you 
Thank you, Darren. Um, so, shout some stuff out at me. You're in the docket, and God is your judge. What do you want God to be in that moment? Compassionate. There's like 16 votes for compassionate there. <laughs> Very good. He's still learning. Anybody else? What else? Forgiving. We'd want him to be forgiving, yep. Merciful, yep. Wise, yep. Fair and just. A good listener, yeah, I think so, definitely. Anything else? Patient, yeah, very good. Very good. I think I would want him to be, have a, cer a certain measure of all knowingness so that he would know, like, my journey so far. Have, be in possession of all the facts because I think it's a, quite a big one. Um, great. Omniscient. Wow, well done. Round of applause for Darren. It's very good. Um, so let's just, let's just take that moment in our minds and let's just switch it out. So now we've got Vladimir Putin stood in the dock and God is his judge. So what do we want God to be in that circumstance? All-knowing. Yep. So we kind of got that with the omniscience. All-knowing. Anything else? Vengeful even. Oof, okay, yeah. Because I think that's fair. Because... Yeah, so, yeah, maybe a, a kind of, maybe something about that. Anything else? Have the power to implement his decision. So, powerful, yeah, I think that's excellent, yeah. Anything else? I think we've all been hoping that Mr. Putin will be held to account, and so if he's being held to account by the highest power in the universe, what would we like there to be? Thorough. Bang on. Very very good. So, if God is going to be a judge, if God is going to bring judgment, then really he needs to be all of these things, doesn't he? He needs to be compassionate and forgiving and merciful and wise and just and a good listener and knowing everything. But also, there are times when we would need him to be vengeful and powerful and thorough. So, let's say that all that's true. And we've talked a lot about uh, all of the injustice that we see in the world over the last couple of weeks. And if God is fair and just and loving and kind and powerful, then with all of those things in mind, he can't not act, can he? If he sees the plight of the Ukrainian refugees and the Syrian refugees and the refugees from Afghanistan over the last couple of years, if he sees the systems and the people who have caused those atrocities and he does nothing, then he's not very good and he's not very just. Either, as Jemima says, he's powerless, or he's not good, or he's not just. If he was to stay aloof and disengaged, we would argue that he's not loving when he sees people who are suffering. In fact, if anyone has ever read the first half of the Bible, and you've read, because this isn't the first time that God's done something like this to a city, and it's uncomfortable to read, but when you scratch below the surface, what you find is years and years and years of injustice against the weak. This is God acting for the weak, and I would argue that there are times when we actually want him to do that. As much as it might be an un uncomfortable subject for us, none of us would want to know a God who could look at the state of the world, listen to what Jemima shared a couple of weeks ago, witness the Holocaust, and not bring a judgment, not eventually step in to set things right. And as uncomfortable as this is, I think this lands with different uh, each of us differently. For some of us who have been the victims of injustice or abuse or who have observed it firsthand, 
Some of us are hungry for justice. Some of us are hungry for judgment. We want to see those who have done these horrible things brought to an account somehow. Others of us can identify behaviors and thought patterns in ourselves which have been abusive and unjust. And we might feel maybe a little bit fearful about the idea of God bringing judgment. Some others of us might feel completely neutral. Like, I pay my taxes, I'm a good person, I do my best, I'm sure God isn't cross with me. But wherever we are, I believe that the reality is that all of us will eventually be judged for the way that we've lived our lives. And if we take a moment to think about somebody like a Jimmy Savile, for example, it can actually be something of a comfort for us to know that ultimately that guy is going to be held, for, held to account eternally in a way that he was never held to account here on earth. But what about us? Did anybody here watch The Good Place on Netflix? Anybody watch that? Yes. I loved it. It was very funny. Um, it was basically a very funny comment on the idea of heaven and hell and who gets to go to the good place and who gets consigned to the bad place. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. It's very funny. And slight spoiler alert, but in one of the later series, what it develops is that there's like this algorithm like Facebook has, which kind of sorts people into the good place and the bad place. And this algorithm learns kind of as it goes, and it kind of learns what it's like to live in the world, and it keeps filing people into good and bad. And what they end up realizing is that actually in this day and age, that there is, it's completely impossible to go to the good place. There's no way of living a life which is completely just, completely fair, that does no harm. It's impossible. You can't do it. Um, and yes, it's very funny. Go and watch it. Um, but to a certain extent, I think that's really true, isn't it? When it comes down to it, none of us would put ourselves in the category of a Putin or a Savile, I hope. But all of us, if we're honest, would have to admit that if God really was our judge, man alive, we would fall short. None of us have led a perfect life. None of us would measure up if we were truly stood in that dock as we imagined. You know, if God is good and just and fair, then none of us would make the cut. All of, all of us are guilty of injustice. And what hope could there be for a Putin and a Savile if, like, we can't make it? How on earth could they ever measure up? And this is the moment when we start to talk about the cross. This is where we look at Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection and ask that question, what does Jesus' death and resurrection have to say about the justice problem in the world and God's judgment? Because Easter is a moment when God's justice and his judgment perfectly meet. Easter is the moment when we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross that paved the way for us to be made right with God, that we could live life in all of its fullness. Now, slight sidebar here. I know it can be really tricky um, to get our head around how um, some Jewish guy 2,000 years ago being executed leads us into life. It's tricky. But I want to present you with a way that the early church used to think about this, which I think is really elegant, really simple, and really beautiful, and really helpful. Because um, you see, the early church, they didn't see our justice problem as a problem of guilt, they actually saw it as a problem of sickness. They observed the way that everybody seems to have this illness, how we often can't control ourselves much like a sickness, that there needs to be some kind of effective remedy to this sickness. So actually, instead of thinking about God as a judge, they thought of God more like a doctor. And if you kind of cast your mind back when I asked about when is it a good time, when is a... 
when is it a good time to be judged? When do we want to be judged? And I would argue that when you go into a doctor's surgery and you sit down and you tell them what's wrong with you, you want to be judged in that moment. You want somebody wise and careful to look into your life and say, ah, I can see what the cause of the problem is and I actually have a, pres a prescription for you. And the early church, they understood that Jesus' death on the cross was a moment when, if we want to, we can give our sickness to Jesus. That we can acknowledge, yes, I am sick. I do things I wish I didn't do. I've caused so much harm in the world, and I want to be made well. And that we can choose to give our sickness to Jesus. And that effectively in dying, Jesus was taking all of that sickness and taking it all out of the system. Jesus died to heal us. He died to heal the victims of our unjust actions. One of the very first church leaders was a guy called Peter, and he explained it a little bit like this. He's talking about Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. He says, He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins. And here we can really helpfully think of that as sickness rather than guilt if we want to. That's perfectly legitimate. He personally carried our sickness in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to that sickness and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. You can see that sickness thing coming out there, can't you? Once you were like sheep who have wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. And of course, the best news that we're going to celebrate next Sunday is that Jesus comes back to life, that the sickness has been dealt with, that when he comes back, when he resurrects, the sickness is gone. He's left it behind in death. The great cause of our suffering has been taken away from us, and Jesus is alive again. He's left it all behind in death, and he stands risen and whole, having taken away all of our brokenness and all of our guilt, if you must, and all of our sickness and sorrow, and invites us into the same new life that he has, free from all of that, which starts now and stretches on forever. And so today, this afternoon, God stands as our judge and as our doctor. He stands as our father and as our friend, as our traveling companion and as our guide. And he looks at the world, he looks at our hearts, and he sees as a good judge and as a skilled doctor exactly what is causing the harm. He sees our broken economic systems that we've been talking about. He sees the victims that that creates and the fact that all of us are complicit in propagating those. He sees the evil regimes in the world creating millions of refugees. He sees the victims and perpetrators of racism. He sees those caught in vicious spirals of abuse. He sees the rich and the poor, the advantaged and the disadvantaged, the user, the dealer, the slut, the pimp, the addict and the priest. He sees all the mess and he takes it all upon himself. In the person of Jesus, we see nothing short of God himself in all of his fullness, choosing to take the hideous brokenness of the world into himself. We see God in all of his fullness, taking all of the brokenness of the world into himself. My hideous brokenness. I dare say your hideous brokenness. You all look great today, by the way. He takes it all into himself. And of course, of course, the weight of that crushes him. Jesus on the cross carried the weight of the broken world so that we could be healed. What a moment of staggering injustice. 
when the kindest man who ever lived took on the pain and brokenness of the whole world. That moment of staggering injustice for us becomes the moment of ultimate justice, when we can be reconciled with God. A moment to give God uh, everything which is holding us down and everything which is killing the world. So I'm going to stop preaching now, and I hope I'm also going to stop crying, because that would be fabulous. Um, And if, Emily, do you want to come up? That'd be great. Um, We're going to move on now into a moment of meeting with Jesus. Because the whole thing about Jesus coming back to life is that he's still alive. And I believe that he comes to meet us in moments like this when we open our hearts to him. And I I don't know how you've come today. I don't know what you've brought. I I don't know how this has landed with you. But the church has done this weird thing over the years. It's made Jesus' death all about some kind of cosmic law enforcement. Um, But I don't think that does the story justice. The whole point of Jesus' life and his death and resurrection is that there's something for everyone. So however you're coming today, whether you are an abuser or the abused, whether you are the just or the unjust, whether you are a wise or you're a fool, wherever you're coming from, Jesus' death was for you. Whatever sickness or brokenness or regret or pain or whatever you've come in, come in with, today Jesus wants to meet with us and take that to the cross for us, to take it away so that we can be healed and lead a new life. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take a moment to open our hearts to Jesus if that's where we're at. So I want to encourage all of us in the room to stand because if we all do it, it's not embarrassing. So let's all stand together.